All right, I'm on now. There you go. Couldn't find my mute button there. Sometimes they tape it on mute, I think. So they're sending me a message. This doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but this is just who we are at City Life. We found this picture of David and Hannah from about 10 years ago. So we're just going to pass this around to the young people. <laughs> Let them enjoy that while they're... We found that in the uh, Welcome Center and, and, uh, and Marvin said... You're going to use that, right? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so that's why we're friends, because we think that way. So, hey, let me just, I, it, we have just so many uh, visitors and, and people that have been new to the church over the last couple of months. And so I'm just, uh, just talking about ministries of the church just before we get into the message each week. And so we, we've picked kids' ministries to, to focus on a little bit. And so we love our kids' ministries here at City Life. And all the workers, they do an amazing job. They're all-stars, every one of them. And so we have something for your children, uh, zero all the way through fifth grade. Uh, there's care, and then there's workshop. And so we understand, too, if you're new to the church, we're strangers to you. And so it might, you might not be at a place where you're ready to trust us with your kids, and we understand that. And so uh, there is a cafe that's just down the hall. I know that 90 minutes can be a long time for kids to, to, uh, to not be rest or to be noisy, and so uh, we have the service piped into the cafe to help with that. I know, Vanessa, ours are t all teenagers now, but when they were young, it's tough sometimes, right? When you're a young parent, you can feel so isolated and disconnected if you have to step out, and so we had uh, put our time in through those seasons of life, and thinking back, we would have loved if the church that we were part of then would have had a room like that, where you can still feel like you're a part of the service, and so we have that for you every week down there in the cafe. So, hey, how about Shani? Last weekend, right? Was that not so good? So good preaching about the persecuted church as we're, we're focusing on uh, missions for uh, these two weeks. Really, we've been focusing on missions with the launch of this series from 10 Towns to 7 Cities. This idea of we've got to be the stranger that draws near with the gospel. But I so appreciate Shani coming and sharing about her time in the Middle East with the Air Force and preaching over there and what she's seen and observed uh, with the persecuted church. And so the faith promise cards that are uh, on the pews that are spread out, if you didn't get one last week, I hope that you'll pick one up this week. If they're all taken, that's a good problem to have. You can see somebody with a blue shirt and they'll give you one. But if you call this your church home, you need to take one of those cards home with you. Talk about it. Pray about it. Vanessa and I were talking about it this morning. And next week, they're going to be turned in at all three campuses. There's two places for you to fill out. One is an actual monthly amount that you're saying above your, your tithe that you give, that you're going to look at your budget, make some sacrifices. I'm going to give this every month to missions. 100% of that money goes back out. None of that stays. That's what we use to support our missionaries. It's what we use to do projects, missions projects, both home and abroad. So we're asking everybody to give on a monthly basis to the Faith Promise Fund for missions. And then we're asking you to pray about an actual faith promise. Now you might say, well, what is that? A faith promise is where you pray, God gives you a number, you believe by faith that he's going to provide it. And when he does, you make a promise that you're going to give it to the Faith Promise Fund. You don't put your name on that card. We're not going to follow up with you. This is just between you and God. And uh, every year, amazing stories come in. I referenced last week that I was going to hit this one, but Ashley Ewers, if you were here with us when she shared at our annual sharing service, somebody was explaining the faith promise concept to her just about a month or so ago, and she said, hey, I'm, I'm going to try. I've never heard of anything like that before. So she prayed. She felt like God gave her, this is a true story. I think Ashley's in here. Is Ashley in here? She's, yeah, right. All right. See? 
You can ask her if I'm making this up at the end of the service, right? Not that pastors would ever exaggerate when they're talking about giving, right? So, so she, she prays. God gives her a number, right? God gives her a number. Just a couple of weeks later, she's in the service. A woman walks up to her that she does not know, hands her a check, and says, I feel like God spoke to me. I'm supposed to give you this check, and it was the amount that God had given her. Come on for faith promise, right? Is that not good? Come on. So you might say, well, if he gives me something extra, I'll do it. But that's then you miss out on the joy of the story for your own heart and for other people. Pray, let God give you a number. And you might say, I didn't even know how that would happen. And if it doesn't, that's okay. That's your journey with God. But pray every year that we've ever done a faith promise. God has always provided. Sometimes it doesn't come until the end of December, but every time we've done it, God has always provided. And so I just want to encourage you to take advantage of that. So, hey, one last announcement before we dig into the message tonight as we round out our series. Uh, If you, again, have been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we're launching a ministry to special needs families here at the Newport News campus. It's called the Buddy System. So families with special needs kids, there'll be a buddy assigned to their child uh, so that as they go into child care, they'll get the one-on-one attention that they need and most certainly deserve. So if you're interested in learning or hearing about that, then I want to encourage you, meet me down in the conference room immediately following this service. If you've got kids in child care, just grab them. You can bring them to the meeting. It's informal. It's not going to be anything long. And uh, and we just want to get your contact information and, and, and talk a little bit about this ministry. So important. You with me? So important that families with special needs kids have an opportunity to be in a setting like this. And so few do because too few churches are equipped uh, to accommodate those children. And so we want to make a difference for that here in Newport News. You with me on that? Come on. It's good. All right. Mark 5, 10 towns to 7 cities. This is our, our, our final week in this series. And so really the, the theme of this series is, is we've been studying what happened in these 10 towns 2,000 years ago because we want it to happen here at City Life. You tracking with me? We want what happened then to happen here. 11 years ago, just a quick shout out to Pastors Tom and Gail Wells, Wells, Vanessa's parents, come on. 11 years ago, God gave them a vision to plant this church. So it's here because of what God put into their heart. And so here we are 11 years later, and, and we're still asking the same question, right? We want God to put something in our heart. God put something in their heart for this church to start, and God's going to keep putting something in our hearts for how it's supposed to continue into the future. And we believe that part of what's supposed to be in this church that's supposed to define us in the future is that we are supposed to be strangers that are willing to draw near with the gospel. It's in Mark 5, 1 through 20, where we're not going to read this for the sake of time. Uh, we've already done this in the last few weeks. And these notes will be online every week, just like uh, as we always do. So if we cover more ground than you would prefer, if you're a note taker, you can always download the PDF. It's free, and, and you can get the notes there. It's also in Luke 8 and then in Matthew 8. We've been talking about why Matthew says that there were two demoniacs, but Mark says one. We covered that in week one. Tonight we're going to talk about why it seems as though Jesus negotiates with these demons. Why would he do that? We're going to cover that tonight. 
How could all of these people from that region be so resolute in their reaction to say, we don't want you here? David alluded to that. Pastor David alluded to that in the worship wrap-up. We covered that in week two. And tonight we're also going to talk about this idea of when you read in the stories immediately uh, preceding the healing of the demoniac, there was an incredible storm uh, that the disciples encountered in the boat as they crossed the Sea of Galilee. Is there a correlation between the storm and his healing? We're going to cover that tonight. It's a powerful story. We read this every week for many reasons, as we will see as we finish this series. But one of the most impactful insights is that this is the first time that Jesus took his message outside of the Jewish world familiar to him. One of our 12 pathways is reaching. We call them pathways, spiritual activities, because they take you somewhere. This series is going to challenge us to ask ourselves, am I willing to be a stranger who draws near with the gospel. Father, as we dig into this message tonight, Father, we, 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 we pray, as Pastor David already said, whatever walls are inside of us that are keeping us from being the stranger that draws near with the gospel, we want you to tear those walls down. Whatever's holding us back, Bad experiences from our past, maybe, maybe eccentricities about our, our personality that, 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 that lend us to, 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 to isolate and to not reach out. Father, what, what, whatever it is, maybe it's been bad teaching in, in the past. Father, we all have our, 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 our stories of our history that sometimes cause these walls to be built. Father, we dismantle them. Dismantle them. We want to be a people that brings the gospel to every person that you put in our path. In Christ's name, come on, and everybody said, amen. We're going to do three tonight, time permitting. Actually, that's not true. I'm doing three tonight, regardless. <laughs> Pastor David and Steve Ruggiero are preaching for the next couple of weeks. We do that every February so I can prepare the, the, uh, for the business meeting and get that annual report together. If you've never been to a church business meeting, you should come to this one because it is a celebration. We, we, it's an amazing, and you might say, well, I've been to church business meetings before, and people leave angry. It's never happened here, and, and not in 10 years of us doing business meetings. It's an incredible time of celebration for our church. So I devote uh, all of my time for the next, next two weeks for that, so I have a lot to say tonight. So, All right, so somebody say the destruction, the destruction. The destruction, verses 11 through 13, we've been working through this story verse by verse, and so we're going to get to the end tonight. We've covered some of this already, so don't get nervous. We're not doing all the, we're going to get all the way to verse 20, but we've taken care of some of it in the previous weeks. But 11 through 13 says, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission the evil spirits came out of the man. Now, we know there were two men, right, because of what Matthew came out of both men, came out of both men and entered the pigs, and the entire herd, about 2,000 pigs, plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. So what on earth was happening here? Why would Jesus be willing to negotiate with these demonic spirits? We, you know, two weeks ago we talked about when Jesus says, what is your name? I believe he was speaking to the man. He wasn't trying to identify the name of the demons because he was trying to help the man identify with himself and his, that he wanted him to rediscover a sense of authority over himself. And so when Jesus realizes the demons are, are the ones that are interacting with him, why wouldn't Jesus say, I'm not talking to you, shut up? Right? Why, why wouldn't he, right? Now, if you've got little kids, shut up's a bad word. I recognize that. And so it was in our household too. But when you're delivering demons, there's a wider parameters of usage. 
of aggressions of words. Just for the record here, for all the parents, all the people that are in growing kids God's way, just as a disclaimer. So, 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 it, it, why wouldn't, why, why, why did he have a conversation with them? Why did he let them make requests? Why did he grant them requests? All right, to, to get us thinking in the right direction, we'd like a little participation here at City Life. Now, if you were a part of First Fridays recently, CYP, don't give the answer away, okay? Don't do it. All right. So, so when you think about the Garden of Eden, what are some things about the Garden of Eden that made it perfect? You slip your hand up, I'll point to you. What were some things about the Garden of Eden that made it perfect? No work. Oh, yeah, come on. Amen. No work. I thought you said no word. I was like, wait, wait, yeah, no work. Absolutely. Sharon. Yes, Spirit of God was there, ever present. Cortez. Order. What else? Anybody? People are like, don't look at him. Unashamed. Yeah, no shame. No shame. Every provision they could ever hope for or need. Marvin, no sin. Nobody said shut up in the Garden of Eden. Somebody else, anybody over here? What's something that made it perfect? No violence, yes, absolutely. Perfect peace in every way. Doug, no death, absolutely, no death. Innocence, come on, you guys are doing good. right? We could, we could keep going. Right? That, that Eden was a perfect place. You know what else made it perfect? All right, who was with us for First Friday CYP? Boundaries. You ever think about boundaries and how boundaries made Eden a perfect place? There were boundaries that established Eden, and then there were boundaries that were inside of Eden. We know that there were boundaries that set it apart. Now, we don't know what was outside of that. That's on my list. You know, what, what, what was outside of it that the Bible doesn't speak to? When Adam and Eve were cast out, what did they find when they got, what was already present? We don't know the answer to that. But what we know is in order for them to be cast out, there had to be a boundary that set it apart. And even, even with the Garden of Eden, there was a boundary inside of it. They, they were not allowed to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Too many of us have been touched by the lie of the mythology that boundaries are what restrict us, and the only way that we can be truly free is to have perfect liberty. And what I would say to you is that the only way that you can have perfect liberty is if you submit yourself to whatever boundaries that God wants to put into your life, because if that's what made the world perfect in the beginning, that still has not changed. And so the reason why he enters into this conversation with the demons is because he's trying to create an image for us to see for what happens when you reject the boundaries of God. And when you reject the boundaries of God, the only thing that is going to come eventually is going to be death and destruction. The pigs that are plummeting over that, 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 that cliff to their death, the, the violence of what they saw, the violence of what they heard. Jesus is trying to say to us and trying to say to the whole world, if you reject boundaries, you're headed for destruction. It's interesting, isn't it, because this man lived a boundaryless life. He had no boundaries. He had no social boundaries. 
right? The, he, it, you, you could even argue maybe he didn't even have boundaries for strength supernaturally. He was able to break shackles and chains that they would try to put on him. And in fact, he's the perfect picture of what the world is trying to continually say to us, that, that he had freedom in every way. But then we look at the picture of that man and we say, I don't want that life. But that's the life that all of us are headed to if we reject the boundaries that God wants to put in our lives. Listen to Genesis 3.23. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. There is a boundary that God wants to establish for us, and all of these boundaries are given to us through Scripture. And if we want to experience the perfect liberty that's humanly possible in this realm, this side of heaven, then we must submit our hearts to every boundary that he provides. Life outside of the boundaries of God establishes, that God establishes for us will always lead to death and destruction. That is the image that we are supposed to see with the pigs plunging to their deaths over the cliff. So I ask you tonight, what boundaries are you resisting from God? What boundaries are you resisting from God, and do you really think that's a good idea? Right At some point, you got to have a conversation with yourself, because we all have boundaries that, that God is trying to establish in us, and, and, and guess what? That never, it never ends, right? The deeper we go into a life of spiritual maturity, the more boundaries that we're going to discover, because there's a greater revelation of our humanity that we have along the way. All of us should continually be asking this question, God, what boundaries do you want to give to me? And if there's any inclination inside of you that says, I'm not sure I want that one, you got to think about this story, and then you got to say to yourself, self, this is not a good idea, right? Life and liberty and perfect peace, fulfillment, Eden in Hebrew actually means pleasure. God wants you to enjoy and experience enrichment in this life. And when you run from boundaries, you're running in the opposite direction from all the goodness that God has for you. So let's talk about these boundaries. Because as we continue in the story, what we're going to see tonight is this isn't just an amazing story of a man who is set free in a spiritual sense with the, demoniac, with the demons that possessed him. We're not just going to see that, that, that this, this willingness of Jesus to be the stranger that draws near with the gospel is supposed to be part of who we are. The, the man himself becomes a metaphor for what a boundary life looks like. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. Make a note of this idea of a crowd, because we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. And they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Now here it comes. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. One, translations, one translation renders that he was seated, he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. And I believe that those three descriptions 
are important to us. I believe that, that, that when the Holy Spirit was inspiring Mark to, to write this gospel, that, 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 that he wanted these three images to be given to us. It's not just there to describe to us a picture of a man who's been healed, but within these three descriptions, we're given a glimpse into what a boundaried life looks like. And it always begins with being seated at the feet of Christ. That when I'm seated at the feet of Christ, it's a posturing of my physical body that says I'm submitted to this person. Many of us, we, we're, we want to be around Jesus, and we might believe everything that we're supposed to about Jesus, but are we really willing to posture ourselves in such a way that says, Jesus, you have the right to do in my life whatever you want? Am I really willing to give him complete and full and total access to every area of my heart and to instruct me to put down whatever I need to put down and pick up what I, whatever I need to pick up? This is part of what we talk about in Growing Kids God's Way for a parenting class. We don't want to raise children that just do what we say because of a fear of consequence. We want them to do what we say because there is a love for virtue in their heart. Doing what Jesus says at first just because we're letting him be the boss, that's a great start. But at some point, he's looking for longing to be in this heart that says, Jesus, I long for every instruction that you would give to me. I'm hungry for your correction. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty for you to change and transform my life. I want to sit at his feet posture myself in a way that's fully submitted to the authority of Christ. And when I am seated at the feet of Christ and fully submitted to the authority of Christ, then guess what? I'm clothed. I'm clothed how? I'm clothed in his righteousness. That when I submit myself to the authority of Christ, which begins through a vow of devotion to Christ, the image of this man having once been naked and now having been clothed is, is a metaphor that tracks all the way from the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden, and part of the imagery of their nakedness was their innocence. They had never sinned, but when they sinned, animals were killed, clothes were made, and it was a picture of their sin needing to be covered through death, which is a prophetic foretelling of the coming of Christ. Jesus and one of his parables talks about the wedding feast and how people were allowed to come in and then they went through and the people that didn't have on the right clothes, remember that parable? They were thrown out. Why is that? Right? You see it like a, a fashion freak or something? If you're not wearing the right stuff, you can't be in here. We know that's not who Jesus was. What is that about? It's Jesus teaching us that the only way that we can have the hope of heaven to be in paradise with our creator, our father in heaven for all eternity, is if we're clothed in the righteousness that only Jesus can give. He's the only way. There's no other. When I'm seated at the feet of Christ and fully submitted to the authority of Christ, then I'm clothed in his righteousness. Now this idea of the demoniac now being clothed is not just a metaphor for forgiveness. It's also a picture of what he expects us to now do in community, and that's walk harmoniously with other people, which you really can't do if you don't have clothes on. <laughs> right? The, the image of him being naked and living in the tombs is 
to accentuate the extreme isolation in which he lived. Right? It's this idea is that, that he could not have relationship with other people. So part of him being clothed, it's not just about the forgiveness that he now has through Christ. It's now that he has the ability to be in harmonious relationship with other people. I cannot be in harmonious relationship with other people until I've experienced the forgiveness that Christ gives. And I cannot experience the forgiveness that Christ gives until I'm willing to sit at his feet. Walking harmoniously with people is hard enough even after we've been forgiven by Christ. Right? Is that just me or is it you too? It's hard sometimes. But it's one of the commands that we've been given to think of others as more highly than ourselves. Right? About being patient and gracious towards other people. That's all wrapped up in this imagery of him being clothed. And then I love how it says that he is now in his right mind. It's the same word in the Greek that Paul uses when he says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind. And some translations render it good judgment because that word means both of those things. It's the same exact word that is, that is here. Can I just suggest to you that I think Jesus was trying to say to us, one of the only ways that we're going to have good judgment, the only way that we're going to have sound thinking is when we're in community with other people because of the forgiveness I've now experienced through Christ as I've submitted my heart to his authority. Because when I'm in community with other people and walking harmoniously with them, the way that we walk in harmony is that we walk through conflict. And so as we're in community, we trust that people there are going to love us enough to say the hard things and maybe things that we would prefer not to hear. But that's what we need people to do. We have blind spots. I have blind spots. You have blind spots. And part of walking harmoniously in community with other people is an exchange of permission to say the hard things in love. Speaking truth in love helps me stay in a place where God can say of me that I have a right mind, I have sound judgment and good thinking. Left to ourselves in isolation, we are always moving away from good judgment and sound thinking. But the deeper I go into community, the more my thinking begins to change, not because necessarily who I am, but because of the community of people that I have immersed myself into. We help each other. Seated, clothed, a right mind. The people that know you best. Just, just think about that for a minute. Maybe some, some faces are coming into view in your mind's eye. The people who know you best, how are they finding you in life? Are these three descriptions a picture of your life? Boundaried living. The people that know you best, if they knew these words, would they say, oh yeah, when I think of that person, I think of someone who's seated at the feet of Christ, clothed in his righteousness, walking harmoniously with others. And when they open their mouth, what comes out, trusted opinions, sensible words, and sound judgment. Because I don't know about you, but one day, 
when I breathe my last and people are maybe in a place like this and are talking about me now that I'm gone, I'd like for maybe somebody to say something like that about me. How about you? And you know how we get there? Is by working hard to do it. There is a transformation that's going to take place inside of me that's completely dependent upon the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in that. But can we just agree that there is a lot of change and there is a lot of transformation that's got to take place inside of us that requires some effort and some work on our behalf? The Holy Spirit does not muzzle us. So when the Bible says that I eat from the fruit of my lips... And then it also says that out of the overflow of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. What we realize, we got our own cycle going here. It takes self-control. I, it's, at some point, I have to decide. It might be the work of the Holy Spirit that gives you the revelation to say, be quiet, but you got to choose to do it. He doesn't kidnap you and bring you to church on Saturday. I've prayed for that for many of you. Just go get them. Just go get them. Bring them in. We'll untie them when they get here. We're going to leave their mouth taped up, but just get them in here. Get them in. Now you you got to try. You got to. That's why. That's why the 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 central part of practice our discipleship model are these twelve pathways because it's, it's the work of discipleship, the work that you must do. All right. Somebody say the assignment. The destruction, the boundaries, the assignment. 18 to 20, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, right? Now one's nowhere to be found. One comes back and says, let me go with you. He begged. Begged Jesus, let me go with you. Jesus says, nope. You go home to your family and tell everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful He has been. No, no, go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So so let's call the demoniac Bob, just for the sake of contemporization. All right? Let's give him a name. If your name's Bob, I'm sorry. We're just going to call him Bob. Why would Jesus say to this man, "You, you can't come with me? Did he not make the cut? Did he, did he, was, was, was there, uh, uh, right? Uh, he, there was an application process and he failed? Was he, was he thinking to himself, this whole idea of Bob wearing clothes is still pretty new. We do a lot of public ministry and if, he's, if he just decides to go back to nakedness, that could be a problem for us, Right? They're at a service somewhere, and Peter comes and says, Jesus, come quick. What is it? I'm teaching. No, it's Bob. He comes around the corner. Bob, we're ministering to children. You've got to wear pants. Right? I mean, when you, when, 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 is Jesus looking at his past and saying, he's too much of a risk for me? Maybe some of you feel disqualified because you feel like maybe you're disqualifying yourself. Because you feel like you're too much of a risk. Maybe he's thinking, Bob's a pretty strong guy. He might get out of hand. I mean, Peter's here and everything, but I mean, he, this guy breaks chains. 
I mean, one day Chris House is going to write this amazing song, Chain Breaker, but Jesus is saying that's supposed to be about me, not about Bob. What were there, were there reasons that Jesus said to this man, you can't come with me? You better believe there was a reason. Because he had an assignment. And sometimes the assignment that we want is not the assignment that God wants to give to us. And if we're not careful, we will begin to look at other people's assignment. And then we begin to compare and judge our own assignment. And we can find ourselves feeling slighted and offended because we think that our assignment is not as good as theirs. Is it possible that Bob walked away with his head hanging low and scuffing his heels and thinking to himself, there's 12 disciples, they get to be with Jesus. Now i got to do it by myself. Right? Some of our self-talk is good and some of it gets us into trouble. Think about what happened to this man. He comes and he says, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you want to take me. And Jesus says, you can't come. You go back, you go to your family, and you start telling the story of what's happened to you in this place. Matthew 15, 29 to 31. Matthew 15, 29 to 31. Listen to this. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill, and he sat down. Now, where is he on the Sea of Galilee? Well, he's back in the Decapolis. He delivers these two men. One of them is nowhere to be found. One says, let me come. Jesus says, no, you go tell a story of what's happened in your life. Jesus and the disciples got back in a boat. They go back across the Sea of Galilee. They minister on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. They make a trip up to Tyre and Sidon, which is up on the Mediterranean coast in northern Israel. That's where he has an encounter with the Syrophoenician woman, which we have preached about many times here. A powerful story about bigotry and racism in Jesus' day. And then guess where Jesus goes? Back down across the Sea of Galilee, over the top, and all the way down through these ten towns. What's he been doing? He's been giving this man some time to fulfill his assignment. See, before there was a crowd. And that crowd said, get out of here. Before there was a crowd. Right? We pointed that out. And that crowd said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Weeks later, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill. Where's the hill? In the Decapolis, part of the region of the Ten Towns. This, this Greek t legion of, 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 of cities that are politically tied together. It's not Jewish. Listen to what it says now. A vast crowd. They went from just a crowd to a vast crowd. And what does it say? They brought to him people who were lame and blind and crippled 
and those who could not speak, and many others. And they laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all, and the crowd was amazed. And those who hadn't been able to speak were talking, the crippled were made well, the lame were walking, the blind could see, and they praised the God of Israel. The reason why it says they praised the God of Israel, because it wasn't their God, because they worshipped all kinds of God in Greek mythology and culture. All because Bob had an assignment. When Jesus said, you can't come, Bob didn't say, all right. If you're not going to let me do that, I'm not doing nothing. No, Bob, every town, day in, day out, he's preaching, telling his story, keeping his pants on, going from community to community to community to community to community. He does not, Jesus didn't say, hey, Bob, you can't come. But I'm going to give you a job that's important, and I'm going to be back in a few weeks. I'll meet you here. No, he didn't say that. Bob doesn't know if he's ever going to see Christ again. He doesn't know that Jesus is coming back. Oh, Jesus knows. And Bob has been out doing for others what Christ did to him, the stranger that's willing to draw near with the gospel. Mark 7. Come on, this is a great story. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. Now, I'm reading out of different Gospels. All of these Gospels are telling us what was happening all during this second trip to the Decapolis. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Right? The same people that said, we don't have any, want to have anything to do with you. Now they're begging him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone, and he put his fingers into the man's ears, and then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Ooh. And then verse 34, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Epatha, which means be open. And instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was free to speak plainly. All because of Bob had an assignment. Mark chapter 4. I'm not going to read that one yet. Matthew 15. Let's go back here. 32 to 39. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days. Three days. He's been preaching and teaching and healing and ministering and delivering. The crowd keeps growing. They're bringing more and more and more and more people. He says, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here for three days. They have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, where could we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Which is an interesting question because they've been in a situation like this before with Jesus. And it says that over 5,000 people were fed on that day, which is a different day than this day. And over 12 basketfuls were left over and it was just 5,000 men alone, not counting the women and children. They were seated in groups of 50, and all of a sudden this incredible miracle began to take place. And Jesus says, how much bread do you have? And they replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. And Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. And then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he thanked God for them. He broke them into pieces 
He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. And everybody said, Amen. Come on. It's not gluttony there. It's fellowship if Jesus is present. (laughs) Afterwards, you tracking with me? Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. Seven large baskets. They only started with seven loaves and a few fish. Now they've got seven basketfuls left over. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day in addition to all the women and the children. Wow. This is a completely different story than the feeding of the 5,000. If you lump them together, you miss the, 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 you miss the revelation of what's taking place through this man and the assignment that he had been given. He, he wasn't in Jewish territory. These people had no frame of reference for a Messiah. The, the word atheism, did you know, was birthed in the world to refer to Christians during the Roman Empire because we refused to worship all the other gods. So it applied to us. This this place, right? I love that this is the story of Bob because none of us can say, God, this idea of drawing near to strangers with the gospel is too hard. God says it wasn't too hard for Bob. You might say, well, if I had Bob's story, I could do a better job. And what I would say to you, be careful what you ask for. God says, no, 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 no. The story I've given you is enough of a story to reach the people I'm going to send you to. He was willing to go and draw near to a stranger with the gospel. And this whole region went from a place that didn't want to have anything to do with Christ or the God of Israel to a group of people that were standing in line for three days straight, risking starvation for the ministry that Jesus could bring to them. My assignment, your assignment, will never be revealed or set into motion until I embrace a boundaried life. Don't miss the lesson of this text. What set this man's life into motion, what set his assignment into motion, which brought even the very revelation of the assignment that he was supposed to have for the season of life that he was in, was that he was willing to be seated and clothed and in his right mind. His his assignment came out of a willingness to live a boundaried life. If you're struggling with boundaries, not only is just your own personal journey as being a follower of Christ going to suffer, it's going to postpone the very assignment that you've been given to reach others. Mark 4, 35 to 37. Let's back up in time. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So so Jesus hasn't met Bob yet. We're, we're back in time. We're in Mark 4. Remember the text that we've been studying is in Mark 5. 
As evening came, Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. So there was a whole fleet of these fishing boats that were trying to stay with Jesus. But soon a fierce storm came up and high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Luke 8, 22 to 23, one day Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they started out and as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. Naps are godly. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake and the boat was filling with water and they were all, every one of them, were in danger. Matthew 8, 23 to 27, then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and they woke him up shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed Who is this man, they asked, that even the winds and the waves would obey him? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Whenever you take steps toward being boundaried or helping others become boundaried, get ready for a storm. The devil can't keep you out of heaven once you make a vow of devotion to Christ but you better believe he's going to do everything he can to postpone the assignment that God has for you. You see, there's a reason that this storm took place on that day. Because Jesus was on his way to meet Bob. And Bob had an assignment. And that assignment was going to be to take the message of the gospel to a region. It is the first time that the gospel is preached to a non-Jewish community, to a group of people that had no frame of reference for who the Messiah is and what he's supposed to do. Bob was the person that Jesus had decided was the one that needed to go out and to become the stranger that would draw near with the gospel. You think it's a coincidence that that's the time that a storm comes up? What kind of storm was it? I don't know. A storm that was bad enough to cause men who made their living on that sea from the time that they probably, before they could even walk, their fathers had them in those boats. If those men thought they were going to die, I'm just saying the storm was pretty bad. The devil cannot keep you out of heaven when you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, but he is going to send your way storm after storm after storm after storm whenever you begin to take steps to draw near to Jesus and the boundaries that he has for you. Because the devil understands the process. 
Because once I'm seated at the feet of Christ and submitted fully to his authority, and I find myself clothed in the righteousness that only the forgiveness of Christ can bring, and now I'm able to walk harmoniously with other people, and other people can begin to speak into my life to help me be shaped and changed, and now, now I have a judgment and an insight that I've never had before. There is an assignment that God is going to give to us, and that assignment will always include drawing near to other strangers with the gospel. Stand with me. Father, you know the prayer that we've been praying together as a church for many weeks. I I thank you so much, Father, for that message that Shani preached last weekend, this, this idea that there is a debt that we owe to others. Father, part of this conversation that we're having together tonight is is this idea of a debt that we owe. Because whenever you you give us an assignment, there's a debt that we owe. And it's the debt of obedience to you, our creator and our God. And so, Father, as we leave this place and we walk away from this series into this year and all the other texts and scriptures that you're going to lead us into and study. Father, I pray that we would not forget the story. I pray that, that, that something would get deposited in us, God, maybe even for some people tonight, that, that's going to change the way that they live this life, forever running after the boundaries that you have for them so that they can carry out every assignment that you would give in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together.